Welcome to the London Lyceum, where we try to encourage listeners, especially our Baptist listeners, to think deeply and clearly. Think about their faith, think about their church, think about their life, and think about God. We're analytic, Baptist, and confessional. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the episode. I'd like to welcome our listeners once again to the London Lyceum. I am Jordan Stefaniak. And I'm Brandon Askew. And we are both here together with a guest, uh, Dr. Tyler Scarlett. So we're very excited to hear from him on preaching. So why don't you, Dr. Dr. Scarlett, give us a little bit of an introduction about who you are. Um, you're welcome to tell us whatever you'd like uh, to get us to kind of get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, thanks, first of all, for having me on here. I'm honored to share what I can. Um, so... I, I'm the teaching pastor of Forest Baptist Church in kind of central Virginia. Um, long, long story short, um, I'm actually, I joined the church 21 years ago. I was a student just coming here to um, go to school at Liberty University, joined the church. I came on staff part-time, and then I've been the teaching pastor now for uh, 13 years. Um, and so I do that as kind of my full-time role in serving the local church. And um, then I also as my adjunct professor with Liberty University. Both online, but then I teach uh, their preaching classes in the undergraduate uh, program. So my wife Rebecca and I have six kids, uh, and uh, so we stay busy. It's a family circus. Um, but um, yeah, we 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 love serving our community. We love you know serving this area, and uh, you know preaching is a big part of what I do. So. Awesome. Uh, well, we're excited to have you. And I've got to say, uh, I don't know why this came to me, but I think your church probably has one of the prettiest views uh, uh, <laughs> of any church in, in America, I have to say. Well, you can't beat the Blue Ridge Mountains. I mean, when you pull out of the parking lot and you see this panorama, you know, it's just it's just really breathtaking. So, Awesome. So, Dr. Scarlett, um, you mentioned that you were uh, uh, one of the professors at Liberty University and that you teach on preaching. So why did you uh, decide to first study, start studying the art of preaching? Was some, preaching something that you um, kind of fell in love with at a young age or tell us about how you really um, got into preaching at first? Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, probably a twofold answer to that question. One was sort of pastoral and one was personal. Um, you know, uh, my father's uh, pastor, uh, well, he's retired now, but was my pastor most of my life. Uh, ironically, or interestingly, he's now a member of my church and is an elder at our church. So I'm now his pastor uh, and co-pastors in that sense uh, at our church. Um, but you know, I, I, I sort of began the desire uh, towards pastoral ministry early on, kind of as a teenager. And somewhere back then, I remember hearing someone, uh, a pastor say, um, you know, every pastor should have, we're jack of all trades, we do a lot of things, but we need to do something really well. Uh, so have some hallmark to your ministry. And so just talking to my dad, interacting, one of the things that I quickly concluded was I don't go to the hospital every week. Uh, I won't be doing marriage counseling every week, but I will be preaching every week, um, multiple times a week. And I felt like if I'm going to do it that much, I need to probably do it well. And so I kind of started a journey um, as even as a teenager, kind of thinking through these things, which sort of fits personally with some of my um, experience. Um, again, like I said, my dad pastored kind of rural churches. So we grew up 
kind of poor, if you will. And so summer vacation was usually going to the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, I remember and, doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And so when you do that, I mean, the the larger than life characters, and you know, they aren't as much Michael Jordan and whoever else, but it was W.A. Criswell and Adrian Rogers. And, you know, those are the guys that I saw and heard and just kind of grew up, you know, in love with like how God was using them and realizing like, wow, that's, if this is what God's called me to do, I want to be like this. And so just sort of poured my heart into it as early as I could, uh, even finishing high school, going into college and making sure that preaching was something I understood uh, as well as I could. So that's awesome. That's 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 really interesting. So I'm curious when it comes to preaching, I think a lot of uh, at least older uh, church confessions have kind of looked at preaching as the chief mark of the true church. So they say, you know, right preaching, that's kind of the central thing. The word of God uh, being rightly preached is what kind of determines if you're a true church or not. So I'm curious what you think of is what would right preaching actually look like and what would no longer count as something that was right preaching? Yeah, so I, I totally agree um, in in how the church has viewed the role of the scriptures and the centerpiece of the church's worship, um, because everything kind of rises and falls with the pulpit um, in terms of what else the church is going to do. And so I think it's it's absolutely critical when I where we are with students coming through, especially with Liberty. That's one of the things I tell them when you're looking for a new church. The first question to ask is how do they handle the word? Um, it's it's not the aesthetics. It's not the smoke and mirrors. It's not any of those. What's really central is how do they handle the word? So that's clearly what's at the center of this. Um, and, you know, I always think back to I think it was Alistair Begg, you know, the for, from Scotland. Um, Begg made a reference to um, he said that I think he was said in America today, um, it's not a lack of preaching. It's an abundance of dreadful preaching. Uh, that's our problem. And so he is diagnosing that. Yeah, there's, you know, a lot of you know, good, but there's a whole lot of bad you got to be careful of. So my bumper sticker definition of good and right preaching is that it's simply accurately proclaiming God's word. Um, so that's just four words, but it's, it's four. I think all of those words are important. It's proclamation. Um, so it's not just a conversation with my neighbor, though there may be some exhortation, encouragement in that, it's, it's, a, it's a persuasive speech in kind of a clinical sense. I'm announcing something. What am I announcing? Well, 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul said what? Preach the word. And so that sort of limits the scope of what the preacher is supposed to deal with. Um, and that may take different forms, but uh, so it's not just proclaiming. Um, it's specifically proclaiming God's word. But I think that adverb is also really important, accurately uh, proclaiming God's word. Um, it was uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said the preacher's, every preacher's motto should be accuracy first. Um, because uh, I tell my students, we have no business saying that God said something he didn't say. Uh, don't put words in his mouth. Uh, none of us like to be misquoted, least of all God. And so I think if we're, we're going to preach, um, we need to make sure that the word is at the center, we're proclaiming it, but that we're doing it accurately and making sure that we make it known. Now, as I said, that can take a lot of forms, uh, different styles and formats, but um, preaching, I think we could talk of it in terms of being more than that, but I would argue it's not less than that. It's, it's accurately proclaiming God's word. That's helpful. So for someone who, who now knows what right preaching looks like, 
on the re- reverse side, is there are there any marks that you would say that this clearly is no longer counting as right and true preaching? Yeah, I mean, I would say where um, the 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 uh, the word gets hijacked by uh, an agenda, be it the pastor's agenda, be it a political agenda, whatever it might be. Now, we touch on all those issues, I believe. I mean, the, the word of God, you know, slices across everything, but we allow the, the word to be the starting point. Um, um, I think it um, the, the the kind of the question that I often ask and I encourage people is, 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 is the Bible used as a resource for the sermon or is it the source of the sermon? Mm. And so that's helpful. you can use it as a resource and just sprinkle it in a thin coat of veneer kind of on top. But if that's all it is, there may be a lot more stuff getting smuggled in to what you're hearing. So is the word central? Is the word shaping? And once it gets outside of that, um, I think we've gone into the weeds and we need to stay beware. Thank you for that. That's that's very helpful. Um, so on this podcast, we want to be um, proudly Baptist. So this next question <laughs> is a, a Baptist question. So sure. um, what is, if at all, what, what would you say is a distinctive of a Baptist preaching? Is there something that, um, you know, either about delivery or the way a sermon is crafted that you would say is distinctive to the way Baptists approach preaching? Yeah, I mean, we all know the answer to that question, right? It's three points in a poem. <laughs> <laughs> Alliteration, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's it. You got to alliterate. So, um, you know, as much as I will laugh at that, I mean, honestly, in some in some places, um, we've got to the point where even in Baptist life, instead of preaching the text, we're preaching a formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've learned a system that maybe was good to help us out kind of training wheels, but we get stuck in it and we don't allow the word to set the whole agenda in terms of mood and outline and just the whole approach to how we preach. So, you know, the characteristics of what, you know, you might call Baptist preaching, um, I don't think they're necessarily unique to Baptists. Like, I don't think we have a monopoly on these, but I do think you you most certainly find them in most cases. One, I would say, is just the authority of Scripture. Um, Baptists, we pride ourselves on being people of the book. Um, and if you go back and sort of, I think it was, you guys may know, uh, Nettles and uh, Bush, uh, yes. uh, Baptists mm-hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. Um, the, you know, that book, I think, sort of shows that it, both in the pulpit and just in terms of worship, like the Bible is the center of what we do. And so making sure that the authority of Scripture is present, both in the preaching and then how it's heard. Um, I'll give you one kind of weird example or just unique example. Um, our church that I pastor is 126, I think, years old. And um, we've primarily been like a one pass, a single pastor-led church most of those years. Under my leadership, you know, about eight years ago, we made the shift to a plurality of elders. And I'll never forget, like one of the sermons I was preaching, I literally had people turn from verse to verse, starting from Acts and going to the epistles. And I showed them every place the word church was singular, the word elder was plural. And I was just like pointing out the grammar. And, you know, James says, if anyone's sick, let him call the elders plural of the church. And afterwards, I had people go, well, why weren't we doing this? Like, it's it's clearly right there in the book. You know, they wanted to vote on it right then. <laughs> and so, like, 
the the default I think of Baptist historically has been what does the Bible say uh, we're going to listen and so in terms of how it's preached and heard I would say that's one I would also say um, evangelism um, is another mark of sort of Baptist preaching we believe strongly that faith comes by hearing the word and so um, you know. Uh, we we assume um, and and you can actually kind of go on two extremes in some ways as I kind of look at it. Um, you've got kind of the if you want it, the hellfire and brimstone sort of revivalistic uh, sort of strain of in Baptist life. Uh, maybe to the other extreme, you have those with the more um, Christocentric hermeneutic, right? But I think both in some ways are trying to make the gospel clear. And to proclaim Christ, to call men and women to faith in Jesus, and so I think the the burden is whether my neighbor's there or a you know friend, at least my children and grandchildren, they need to hear God's word and they need to trust Him to be saved. And so I think evangelism um, is another one. And then the last thing I guess, and again this may be what I've I've kind of experienced and seen, um, the Puritans said that the pulpit should be a mm. place of both light and heat. Uh, light being, of course, illumination, teaching, but the heat is something that needs to also be there. And so Aristotle called it pathos. Um, you know, Baptist preaching tends to be more lively, engaging, sort of convictional. Um, and maybe we sweat more than the Anglicans. Of course, they wear robes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe. But, you know, there tends to be a bit more sort of full bodied preaching uh, in some sense. And not that that's true with every person, but um, it kind of grips us uh, oftentimes in, in the way it's communicated and delivered is often a bit more engaging that way. So we could add a lot more to it, but those are just three areas that I think I kind of see when I think of distinctives of Baptist preaching. Yeah. And I really like that light and heat thing. I think that's that's a yeah. really good synopsis of what preaching uh, kind of should be. So I, I'm also curious, When I know you talked about how you tell your students what they should be looking for uh, in a church is a church that's accurately handling the word of God. So how best do you think uh, church members should listen to preaching on a regular Sunday. Are there practices that we could institute as a church member that would encourage us and help us to be better at that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, anytime I think of this topic of listening to sermons or listening to preaching, my mind immediately goes to Mark chapter four. So you have Jesus giving his parables, um, and at like the gospel writers, he groups uh, some parables. There's three actually seed parables back to back to back in Mark four, um, and then at the end in verse thirty three, he says, with, "It says with many such parables he was speaking the word to them." Okay, so we all know that. But what always has caught my attention, the first parable is the parable of the soils. And the disciples don't get it at first. And Jesus says in verse 13, um, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? So Jesus was clearly saying, look, this first parable is the mother of all parables because he was saying, listen to this word from God about listening to the word of God. And so packed into that little parable, I think, are a lot of, you know, just great, um, you know, ideas of which Jesus gives to us. Um, you know, he even talks about, remember, the some of the seed falls on the ground and the birds come and snatch it. Well, what does Jesus say? The bird is who? It's, it's the devil, right? So I think listening to a sermon is spiritual warfare. Hmm. 
you know, we sometimes would think of it as, you know, spiritual warfare is something at out of body, whatever experience. But the way Jesus talks about it, like there is something going on in the unseen realm where the devil would love to snatch up the seed, the word from your heart. So I think we have to go in. I think we should I think we should remember that parable every time we go to church. I think that parable is the key to listening to sermons and doing it well. Um, so just my thoughts and sort of I, what I encourage people before, during, and after. Before, I would say, you know, prepare. That would include praying. Um, I mean, if this is God's work that he's going to do through his word, then we need to be wholly dependent on him. So praying, whether it's the week leading up to church, even the morning of. Um, I, I learned from a Korean brother. He used to come to church and where we, you know, in our church, we'd sort of shake hands and talk to people before service. He would sit in silence and pray. And we were talking about it one day. And I said, why Why do you do that? I said, nobody, everybody's around you talking. He, he, he looked at me and said, because I'm about to hear from God. Hmm. And I thought, wow, yeah, that's the attitude we should have. So, um, you know, praying um, and and reading along. Uh, some churches will publish the text in advance. So read our, our family, even though I'm the one preaching, we have our family devotions um, around the sermon text and we talk about it as much as we can. And then my wife and I have six kids. And on a real practical note, um, we we make a point to minimize Sunday morning frustrations. Um, so literally all of us, my wife and I included, we lay our clothes out Saturday night. Um, we, we will set the breakfast table with, you know, bowls and spoons because we know what can happen on a Sunday morning, you know, as you get ready to go. And we don't want that stuff sort of getting in the way. Um, and the other thing I would say before the preaching would be specifically as maybe as odd as this sounds, I encourage our people, that's the time to sing because you may come to church and maybe not be ready to listen and prepared, but so often singing and particularly, you know, songs with depth and God's word, it sort of tills the soil of our heart and prepares us. So I say, whether you feel it or not, you know, sing as we're commanded in scripture and God will prepare you to receive his word. Um, during the sermon, of course, I would say, you know, open your Bible, follow along, listen, you know, some take notes. There's lots of different ways that you can go about doing it. But again, I think the question to ask is, you know, of course, be a good Berean. Um, you know, don't accept everything that's said from the pulpit, but listen discerningly um, and compare it with Scripture. If you have questions, you know, talk to the pastor, the elders, whoever, so that you can grow and learn. And then afterwards, I would say, of course, the, the most important thing is to obey. Um, you know, Scripture says what, James, don't just be a hearer of the word, but we're to be doers. And so failing to obey God's word on Monday is not laziness, it's sin. Um, I mean, it's really that simple. And so we should respond in obedience. And one way to cultivate that that we encourage is also discuss the sermon over lunch or if you have a small group or just with some friends at work. You know, what did you learn this last Sunday? How did God use it in your life? And keep that conversation, that sort of dialogue uh, going. So, I mean, there's a lot of more things you could add, but I think just being intentional about wanting to come and and come with a sense of expectation as my friend said god is about to speak and and to come with ready ears uh to listen uh, one resource i'll mention if you guys um is uh, there's a little tiny booklet by christopher ash it's entitled listen up uh, it's only a few dollars we used to actually give it in our new members class um to our to our 
to new members to say, listen, this is one of the most important things we do is to listen to God's word. So we would sort of share those recommendations, that kind of resource. And I think he goes through that and a few other things in there. So. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for the book recommendation. And that, I mean, that whole answer was just wonderful. It was a lot of good uh, practical advice there for our listeners. So we really appreciate that. Uh, from the perspective of a pastor, um, you know, preaching can be a very uh, anxiety inducing thing for us. Um, and it can be something that, you know, we really stress out about even to the point of sin. But, um, mm. you know, I, what is one way that pastors can seek to become, you know, better preachers, not to the point to where, you know, we obsess over being, you know, perfect in the pulpit because, you know, ultimately we are uh, dependent on God um, and he, yeah. you know, he will bring the fruit. It's not totally up to us, but we also want to do it well. We want to do it to his glory. So what are some ways that we can um, try to become better uh, in the pulpit? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, first of all, um, you know, every preacher whether you've done it for five years or 50 years, you need to get good feedback um, and, and on a regular basis. And by that, I mean, don't ask your wife or your mom, um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, I mean, ask those who can be objective, critical, and and even if it seems nitpicky, I mean, that's where oftentimes the fruit comes that you learn about yourself. Um, so our elders will regularly discuss the sermons from Sunday um, and, uh, you know, what could have been done better, what was unclear. And so it's from brothers that I trust, I respect, I want to listen to. So whether it's a friend outside the church, but I'd say get some honest uh, feedback. And then I would say, um, and this is one that struck me a couple of years ago. You know, we all have our favorite living preachers, you know, guys that you can watch on YouTube or podcasts or go to conferences. What what I learned, though, is I tell my students, listen to your favorite preachers, favorite mm. preachers. So go back a generation like who who did they read, who inspired them and kind of drill down a little bit deeper um, and allow yourself to keep growing, keep learning and, you know, not just not just come up, you know, come up short. Um, and and the other thing I would say, too, is, you know, and this is maybe my own personal experience, but oftentimes my my failing to preach as I want on a Sunday is just simply time. You know, again, wife, six kids, you know, teaching, pastoring, all the things that go on, just life. And, of course, like everybody, we have flat tires and hospital, all that kind of stuff. Um, one of my commitments that I try to make is to simply start early. So I preach Sunday morning. I'm reading next Sunday's text Sunday night. Um, and I'm starting to think about it. You know, it's the old adage, you give birth on Sunday, you're pregnant on Monday. Um, so you you got to make sure that, you know, you're right back into it and and not just letting the, you know, kind of pushing it off because I, I did my job. I'm going to take a couple of days off. No, you got to kind of jump right back into it uh, to do that. And so um, I make sure that I start early, you know, doing my exegetical work getting everything prepared so that I have enough time to kind of marinate in the text and to think through the themes and all that's that's there. And and I'll give you one like really practical tip um, that I've recently discovered is I, I have learned that for the strongest finish, I write my last point first. Hmm. So, you know, I'll kind of do all my work, my exegetical work, I'll outline everything. And then usually... 
you know, um, usually there's a there's a sense in which you do kind of run out of time as the week progresses if you're not incredibly disciplined. So I will usually write sort of the ending so that I know, you know, I've put a lot of thought into how I'm, this is going to conclude and then, you know, devote time to the rest as well. So um, it works for me because it, it helps me know that I'm going to finish on a good solid note uh, with the congregation. Yeah, that, that's great stuff. Uh, thanks for sharing. You know, the to your first point, I remember, I think I went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church with Mark Dever. And after their Sunday service, uh, he invited me up to their little sermon review. And I guess it was just pretty much their elders and a bunch of their interns and a select few other people. And I was remember being kind of shocked at how honest and real both their uh, encouragement was, but also their criticisms. So I mm. think that obviously was uh, benefiting those there and their preaching. And I, I have to say that that's definitely something I would commend and I think would be an easy thing to institute for a lot of churches is just simply to have that regular rhythm of reviewing. So, yeah, thanks for those. Now, yeah, for sure. you are obviously uh, a big proponent of, I guess, what would be called expositional preaching. So mm-hmm. you've been mentioning how we we're, we're supposed to be captive to the text, preaching the text, and not letting our own... I guess, opinions or hobby horses kind of ride over the text. So Hmm. what would you say is the primary benefit of expositional preaching? And then are there potentially any drawbacks to expositional preaching? Because I know there's other versions of preaching. I, I grew up in a church that was very topical in its preaching. So like you had mentioned, Mm -hmm. it was more, um, I've got a good idea. I'm going to go find the biblical texts that support my idea. And so there is biblical text in the sermon, but it's not the driving force of the sermon. Right. Yeah, I would say, you know, I I mean, I think one of the things I try to help my students do is they sometimes equate um, verse by verse preaching with exposition. And that's in itself not even always true. I mean, you can go verse by verse and be a heretic uh, (laughs) still. So um, exposition is what you do with whatever verses are in front of you, whether it's one or 10 or, you know, 60 or whatever it might be. It's allowing the text to be exposed. It's not imposing, it's exposing. And so the text itself drives everything. But I do believe that not only that, but what's sometimes classified as consecutive exposition, you know, that verse by verse, section by section, preaching through books of the Bible is, I think, the best staple diet for a congregation. And while I could give you a hundred reasons, I'll give you one that I think stands out uh, from all the others. And that's this, is because uh, every Sunday when you preach, you are subtly teaching your people how to read their Bible. Mm. So the preacher's hermeneutics soon become the people's hermeneutics. Mm. And so if if you're cherry picking the Bible here and there randomly, uh, I tell my students, don't be surprised if they do that to you in a business meeting, um, you know, when you when they don't like something you've said and done, uh, they found a verse against you. Um, but if you're if you're modeling for them what it is to handle the Bible in context, to handle what an author's you know, point is for the whole book to bounce between the passage and the book and to keep all those contexts in mind. You don't ever even have to teach inductive Bible study. 
you don't particularly have to say, here's how to study your Bible, but you're sort of infusing that into them uh, as a generation. Um, uh, interesting story, kind of a side note. Um, there's a, I've now been at the church long enough. Like I said, I've been a teaching pastor 13 years. So there's a young lady. She was probably f- uh, three or four when I started, and now she's about to head off to college. And um, she's she's going away for college. And so she was in the area. And before she goes this fall, she was planning to find a church. And so she kind of Googled and looked up some places and her, with her family. And I didn't know this was going on at the time. We hadn't talked to her. And so she, they went to a church. And the dad later told me, he said, you know, it wasn't really what we had hoped for, but we were going to let her make her own decision. And so they came out and they said, what did you think? And she said, well, I'm never going back there again. And she said, I said, why not? Which they were kind of surprised because it was kind of modern, a little more. And she said, because when Pastor Tyler preaches, he says, open your Bibles too. It took them 20 minutes to open their Bibles, (laughs) you know? And I thought, I've never, you know, I've never said, this is what you need to look for. But after, you know, this many years, 13 years of hearing, open your Bibles too, she's conditioned. Mm. That's what a good sermon is. That's what I need to look for in a church. So, I think that the benefit of expository preaching, consecutive exposition, is to teach your people to condition them, to train them in how to read their Bible for themselves. Um, What are the drawbacks? I I mean, I do think there's potential drawbacks, but usually those drawbacks are within the preacher. It's, It's never, you know, it's never the lack of ability of God's word. People say, well, maybe you're talking about a topic that doesn't address what's going on. Well, that's, that's just called, you know, good application. Um, you know, God's word can connect to really anything in the news um, that's happening if we really think about it and we, you know, prayerfully approach the people. Uh, some will say, well, you know, I mean, sometimes, say, well, it's boring to go through, you know, the book of Isaiah or whatever it might. Well, maybe the preacher's boring, but I would argue God's word's never boring. And so, again, there may be some limitations where it's challenging to keep a series going for two or three years. If you're going verse by verse through Luke or something like that, and a visitor comes in and they don't know where you've been. But again, I think pastors that work hard can get people caught up in a sentence or two and and kind of help move them forward. So I would say it, maybe it's not the only way to preach, but I think consecutive exposition is the best way to preach for the congregation and for uh, the church as a whole. Thank you for that. Uh, this next question you sort of hinted at earlier when we were talking about how to become a better preacher. Um, you know, you said, you know, look to your uh, preaching heroes and then find out, you know, who they looked up to. So with that in mind, you know, who is your favorite Baptist preacher and theologian and and why? Yeah, I would say um, as I, you know, um, think about it in terms of preaching, if I could say it that way, believe it or not, I mean, maybe I just cut my teeth for so long. Uh, I truly loved Adrian Rogers, like listening to him. Um, I thought he was knew how to communicate. Um, I think he he understood what was at stake in his generation, his era. Um, and so, as far as somebody that I actually heard and experienced, it would be uh, Adrian Rogers. But to reach back a little bit further, uh, I'd have to say John Broadus. Um, you know, Broadus's work on on the preparation and delivery of sermons, uh, even his sermons themselves. In fact, I, I was uh, I've been reading his commentary through Mark's Gospel while I preach Mark's Gospel. It is filled with wisdom. Wisdom and pithy, just little preachable nuggets uh, in his commentary. Um, and so I think Broadus's 
body of work and his influence has probably been um, has been uh, the biggest in my life in terms of historic Baptist figures. That's great. Uh, so one last thing I, w- I want to ask before we let you go. Uh, I know you you mentioned Christopher Ash's little book, Listen Up, but are there any books on preaching in particular that you would recommend and say, this is the gold standard, or this is one you need to really get your hands on? If number one, maybe you want to become a better preacher. Number two, you want to learn how to preach just period. Or number three, maybe you just want to learn more about preaching in general. Or is there, maybe it's all one book, maybe that's three different books. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, nowadays, uh, kind of the gold standard uh, of just basics of exposition is Haddon Robinson's Biblical Preaching. There's been a few um, books that have kind of tried to get up there in terms of popularity and impact, but I, I think Haddon Robinson's book still stands as kind of, here's a great starting point uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to dive in and, and go further. Um, but then on top of that, while it's it's not a sermon prep book, so it, this is not how to preach uh, kind of step by step, but I, I still don't think, uh, I still think one of the, the best books I've read is John Stott's Between Two Worlds. Um, the way he talks sort of philosophically, theologically, biblically, culturally, I mean, he just comes at it from a lot of angles. So uh, it, it's one of those books that makes you think deeply and maybe has a bigger impact because of how it kind of moves you than it does, you know, do this, do this uh, kind of thing. So those are two books that I think everyone, every preacher needs to read and digest uh, and maybe go back to a few times over their ministry. Well, that's I love that you mentioned stop makes you think deeply because that's <laughs> yeah. like kind of one of the goals of the, this entire podcast, I guess. Um, I don't know what the word is. Our our adventure here is to help Baptists in particular think deeply and clearly. So whether you're thinking about preaching or not, if a book helps you to think deeply, We've got to say, read John Stott's Between Two Worlds. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, I if I could have voted for uh, an evangelical pope, it would have been him. Not not that I'm doing that. <laughs> I loved his candor. His, I mean, I don't agree with everything he said, but um, I, I I read his books a couple of pages, and I have to put them down and think because the simplicity of it is, is so good um, to help me, you know, make sense of God's word in my own life. So yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I got to say, I've loved having you on. I think you've offered some really helpful wisdom uh, for our listeners in thinking about uh, their own churches, uh, preaching in general, what they should be looking for and how to get better at it. Uh, you've really, I think, done us all a great service and we are super thankful you took the time to talk with us about this. Absolutely. Honored to do it, guys. Well, thanks. And if anyone wants to get in contact with you and and learn more about preaching, is there a way they can do that? Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm on Twitter at Tyler Scarlett. Uh, I have a little side, I don't know if it's a project, but a side thing I do. You've all heard of life hacks, right? You've seen the videos online. Mm -hmm. I have a a thing I do. I call it sermon hacks. Um, And so (laughs) I do have a Twitter handle. It's at sermon hacks. I don't do a lot with it, but with my students, it's just best practices for better preaching. And so I will tweet out Hey, work on this this week. Uh, so that's the two ways you probably uh, get uh, follow me and find out more. Well, that's great stuff. So we definitely encourage you all to check both of those out. So again, thanks for taking the time with us. We really enjoyed it. I think it was a great, uh, great time uh, had by all. Thank you. Appreciate it.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.